T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. Hello once again, my dear friends, and welcome to the Hurricane Hotline. We will be with you for the next two hours. University of Miami basketball coach Jim Laraniga will be with us momentarily. Then Don Bailey Jr. will wrap up the first hour. Wide receivers coach Rob Likens joins us in hour number two with women's basketball coach Katie Meyer. And then Gino Damari wraps up the Hurricane Hotline for the night in hour number two. The baseball team will be on the road this week taking on North Carolina State. First, however, basketball last night on the road. Hard-fought game against the Virginia Cavaliers. Fell by a score of 62-51. Joining us now is Jim Laranega. Good evening to you, Coach L. How are you? Hello, Joe. I'm fine. How are you? So far, so good. Thank you very much. Uh, good effort last night. Played five guys just about the entire way, I think, in the second half. I thought they executed the plan about as well as they could, but down the stretch, Virginia made a couple of big shots. Well, uh, <clears throat> first of all, we we uh, went into the game, Joe, actually these last two games with great energy. The six scholarship players and the two walk-ons at practice, we can do very, very little when you, when you only have six scholarship guys. So what we did is we, we walked through the defense of what we wanted to do. The guys had lots of energy. We went through the offense, what we call dummy offense. There's no defense out there. You're just running your plays. Excuse me, Joe. We're just running the plays without defense to see, you know, how fast we can do it, how quick we can do it, how how much we can move the ball and get guys moving. And actually was was really terrific. The energy was great. The guys were bouncing around. And uh, against against Virginia, we were very well prepared. The players uh, were very focused. We actually led 29-28 with about three and a half minutes to go in the first half. And, and then, then we had a, a, a uh, breakdown. It, it was like all of a sudden our decision-making went crazy. Uh, we turned the ball over like three or four straight times. It led to them having an 11-point lead at the half, which was devastating. That last three minutes. And then we started the second half, you know, trying to execute like we did early in the game. And we were still in that funk and, and turned the ball over three of the first five possessions. I had to call a timeout, which I rarely do. Called a timeout to settle us down. And then we played very good basketball. We got ourselves back in the game. And then, of course, Virginia, who's, probably in a tie right now with, with Florida State for the league regular season championship. They made some key plays down the stretch and pushed the, the lead back up to 11, which is the way it ended. But, Joe, here's, here's the incredible stat. Um, our bench, which there isn't any, we only got one scholarship <laughs> guy, it's Dan Gag, um, but, but our bench is getting outscored on the average – by about 20 points a game. The only game where our bench outscored the opponent was we outscored Duke 10-4. to 
and that's why we won that game. Mm-hmm. You know, Duke's Duke's bench wasn't wasn't that good that night, and we got a chance to to win that game because of it. But against against Virginia, our bench got outscored twenty to two. Um, against uh, Clemson on Saturday, we got outscored twenty one zero. And listen to this: in our last game against Florida State, we got outscored fifty seven to five. When you don't have a bench, when you don't have depth, when you don't have players to rest your starters, you're just not getting enough uh, to to win the game. Not enough points. Well, I thought a couple of things last night. Uh, this is more of a conversation, I think, than question. They did a pretty good job of uh, tracking Isaiah Wong throughout the game. And that being said, Cam Augusti scored 14. Olani Olani hit a couple of uh, big shots for you. And the lead was down, I think it was four, with three minutes to go. And um, they got free on the baseline. I think it was Morcel that made a little baseline runner that pushed it to six at a really pivotal point of the game with just about three minutes to go. Yeah, that, that basket, I... You know, one one of the things I think when you get a little, I'll say a little bit tired, you know, we're not subbing, guys have pushed themselves to the brink, and a guy drives to the basket, and we didn't get a good rotation to help, and, and he got the layup. So, you, you, as a coach, you just think to yourself, man, we sh- shouldn't have given up a layup at that, that easy a shot. But you look at the guys that were out there, and it's it's not even so much all the minutes that they've been playing. It's the accumulation of that throughout a very long season. You know, when uh, we had – my wife and I had, had three of our seniors over for dinner tonight. But because of Hurricane Hotline, we had to do it earlier. And because Sam Mordenberg had a class, we decided to do a dinner at 4 o'clock. And it was Chris Likes, Dan Gak, and Sam Wardenberg. And during dinner, we were talking about the, the team that we could have had had our players stayed healthy. No, Chris Likes adds 15 more points to our, our offensive game. Sam Wardenberg, uh, it was the best rebounder on the team last year. And just assuming he's going to be an improved player coming into his senior year, that's just two main guys that we're missing that could have had a huge impact on this season. And all three guys just said it's, it's been such a challenging year n- not being able to practice properly because of having such few guys and having so many good players, maybe starters. Chris and Sam were starters all last year. Rodney was a starter all last year. Not playing at all. Not getting into the game. Not that they're playing bad. They just can't play because of injuries. Along those lines, I was looking last night at your bench during a timeout, and Earl Timberlake was floating around the the huddle, and I thought to myself, um, "My goodness gracious, this kid is really uh, is is big, maybe getting bigger. I don't know." But I was looking at his shoulders, and I thought, "Wow, he's a freshman, big, broad shoulders, and the leap that Isaiah Wong made." physically, the transformation from his freshman year to his sophomore year, and I start running that through in my head head of next year of, wow, if if Isaiah's there and Timberlake is there, and you just mentioned uh, Chris and Sam Wardenberg, that's really, if you start going down that road, pretty appetizing. It sure is, Joe. And the sad thing for Earl is he's not able to do anything. He has a little issue uh, with a nerve in his back that, that he has got to let the nerve rest. They've given him a minimum of six weeks of total rest. Hmm. But the beautiful part, Joe, if you're around Earl, even through his, his COVID mask, you can see the smile. <laughs> I mean, he is such a great kid, a high energy, loves to play, loves basketball. And this has been such a challenging year for him because he came in with such high expectations. There was talk about him being one and done, and now he's not even been able to play. So um, hopefully with this rest, 
hopefully when the nerve gets back to normal, he'll be able to start lifting weights like Isaiah Wong did between his freshman and sophomore year. And hopefully he'll be stronger and in better shape and a tremendous contributor next season. Uh, the last two games, and you mentioned the energy that your team has had, and you played very well again against Clemson on Saturday, came up, came up a little bit short in that game. Do you think any of the energy or focus is attributed to the fact that the six players know this is all we have, all we got, and we are, we are playing no matter what? Well, I think there is a great deal of confidence that a player gets from knowing he's not going to get taken out of the game even if he makes a mistake. Players worry about if I make a mistake, the coach is going to yell at me, the coach is going to take me out, I'm going to lose my playing time. What my staff and I have emphasized to players from the very beginning is it's really not about playing time, it's about playing well. When you play well, you earn your playing time. If you play poorly, there should be someone that can sub for you and hopefully contribute. So you shouldn't be worried about your, your, your playing time. You should really focus on playing well. Work on your game, work on your defense, work on your rebounding. How about this last night, Joe? Uh, our two big guys, Nasir Brooks and Dan Gak, who share the, the center position, did not get a single rebound. That's very, very hard on their team, on their yeah. teammates, when their big, our big guys are not rebounding the ball. And I think a lot of it is mental. Some of it might be the physical fatigue, but I, I, I don't buy that right now. What I think it is is the, the mental side of the game where their concentration is on doing other things. And until players start to concentrate, on doing what the team needs them to do consistently. Like, we need our big guys to rebound and block shots. We need our guards to handle the ball and make some threes. We're not a great three-point shooting team, but we can do a whole lot better of finding the open man and, and making some good decisions. Because the turnovers we got at the end of that first half really killed us against Virginia last night. Yeah. It was just one of those plays – uh, that each opportunity you get, it only happens that one time, and it's possession by possession. So if you have a, a golden opportunity to make a shot and it's an easy shot that's makeable, then you need to make it. If there's an open man and you can find him and you can complete the pass, you need to complete that pass, and the guy you throw it to needs to catch it and finish the shot. A perfect example, Joe, is what you've seen uh, in several of these uh, in the last several games is us post feed to uh, Nasir Brooks and Dan Gak cut to the basket. Nasir Brooks throw it to him and Dan Gak dunking it. Yeah. Can you picture that? Oh yeah, you had a beautiful uh, happen last night on one or two occasions. Very nice, and it's happened throughout the year. And the other day against uh, Clemson. Isaiah Wong threw it into to, uh, Nasir Brooks, and he started to cut, and it looked like he was going to be open, and Nasir Brooks passed it, but Isaiah stopped. He didn't think he was open, so he just stopped. Well, our rule is you never stop a cut. You've got to cut hard, get to the basket, and you don't stop until you're out on the other side. And Isaiah didn't do that. It ended up a turnover. That was against Clemson. It happened again last night. When guys don't do what you're expecting them to do, then mistakes occur. We had a situation where we were defending a Virginia out-of-bounds play, and there was a timeout, Joe. And I said to the players, look, it, they're probably going to run this play. It's screen the screener. And I asked them the question, we, I, we have a chance. We can switch it, or you guys can fight through it. What, which is best? Because when they're out there and they make the decision, normally it works best. Mm -hmm. So they, they both said, let's just fight through it. I'll guard my guy, you guard yours. And they agreed to do it. And then they went out there, and one of them switched. And that <laughs> left the Virginia player open. I couldn't believe it. 
it's very, very frustrating for the players and the coaches when you know what the plan is and then someone doesn't execute the plan. Right. So Virginia was able to score on that out-of-bounds play when we easily could have stopped it. The mental side of the game has been a real struggle all season long. How, how do we uh, – uh, Anthony Walker uh, almost had double figures again last night. So eight of the last ten he's been in double figures. Almost had, his back, almost had back-to-back double-doubles. His game is growing. In his 13 starts, he's averaging about 11, 12 points, five, four or five rebounds a game. Uh, on the other hand – He's not afraid to shoot the three-pointer. He's not making a lot of them, but he's not bashful. So how do you how do you judge that? How do you weigh that? Yeah, I had a very long conversation with him about that earlier today over the telephone. And there was a very specific play late in the game where our our bigs have been told to screen, ball screen, and roll. Do not pick and pop. So – it was late in the game. I think we were down eight. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of who it was. Maybe Yeah, it was Isaiah Wong. Came off of his ball screen, and Anthony would have been wide open on the roll, but instead he picked and popped. And when Isaiah threw it to him, he shot a three. Now, um, for his his defense on this is he was shooting 18% from three and has improved to 28% from three since moving into the starting lineup. So it, he's getting better at that. But when the plan is for you to roll, you need to roll. And I talked to him about it, and he understands it. But, Joe, like every player now, they love the three-point shot. <laughs> yeah. And – he always is looking for it, despite the fact that I told him when someone else penetrates and pitches to you, that's the three-pointer you make. But when you pick, you roll. When you ball screen, you roll, and you do it constantly. Uh, well, it's funny because uh, you, all, you always say when we go to a shoot-around, first thing the guys do when they grab the ball off the ball rack is go right to the three-point line. And I told you last night I was watching uh, before our pre, during our pregame, I was watching Isaiah Wong warm up, and you'd be, you would be happy to know that he started inside the right block. He moved from inside yeah. to out. Um, you know, I wanted to go back uh, to something you mentioned before and present this as a conversation to you before the break. And you were talking about a discussion at timeout in, uh, during a timeout in the huddle and that you were anticipating what Virginia was going to run. Maybe take our fans inside a huddle when you are defending. Are you always anticipating what the other team is going to run or are you just trying to settle on what defense you want to be in? Okay, well, first of all, in the game plan, uh, our coaching staff reviews tapes, breaks down every part of the opponent's game. So last night, Virginia has basically three favorite baseline out-of-bounds plays. We review those with the team on video. We go out onto the court the day of the game, and we review how we're going to defend each of those the players understand the strategy, and um, the, there's a discussion depending on uh, how we want to play certain out-of-bounds plays. So, for example, the play I was describing earlier was a, a play that two, two similar players could switch. But if Virginia ran that same play with their – uh, five man and their point guard, we wouldn't have switched it. We would have told them you have to fight through. So there's a definite strategy when it was Anthony Walker and, and Elijah, and they're guarding the three and four man who is Murphy and Hauser. Our guys can switch that because they're basically the same kind of player and about the same size. And so is Anthony and Elijah about the same. So that's an easy switch. But had that been Huff and Isaiah Wong guarding, guarding Kihei Clark, who's only 5'10", we would not have wanted to switch Nasir Brooks onto 
Kia Clark and Isaiah Wong onto Huff, who's seven feet one. So there's a lot of strategy, which always comes in game preparation. And that's why I say the mental part of the game is so difficult. And we haven't had a lot of practice time. We don't have enough players to go through everything. There's, there's not a, a, a lot of live action in practice that allows us to defend those plays repeatedly so we can get perfect our defense. And uh, so we have to do a walkthrough and we have to do a video explanation. And uh, to our guys' credit, for 32, 34 minutes of the game, we did a very good job and put ourselves in position to actually have the lead at halftime. We were up 29-28. If we don't turn the ball over uh, and, and we just keep doing what we've been doing the first uh, 17 minutes, we're probably going to have the lead at halftime. But when things break down mentally, you make mistakes, a team like Virginia is going to take advantage. They're a top 20 team in the country and playing very well. Next up is Boston College Friday, the final home game of the season, final regular season game of the year, 6 p.m. tip-off. We'll be on the air at 5.30 p.m. And then next week is the ACC tournament. We'll talk about Boston College when we come back. Let me talk to you for a moment about one of my favorite subjects, Williamson Cadillac. And if you are thinking, if you are dreaming about a luxury automobile, may I suggest Williamson Cadillac. If you are thinking about riding in the original icon, you know what the original icon is, of course. Now in its fifth generation, we're talking about the Cadillac Escalade. That's what everybody is looking for, the Cadillac Escalade at Williamson Cadillac. You can check it out online at WilliamsonCadillac.com or you can visit their a beautiful showroom. It's easy to find, 104th Street, just south of the Palmetto Expressway, right on US-1. If, perhaps, it's not the Cadillac, Cadillac Escalade, may I interest you in the CT Sedan Series dedicated to performance, or I am driving the XT4. It's a crossover, and it's absolutely outstanding. Great. The XT crossovers are wonderful for families. The XT4, the XT5, the XT6. You can experience everything that William Williamson Cadillac has to offer with its award-winning lineup. Williamson Cadillac, Ed Williamson, his lovely wife, Carol Williamson, they have been a part of Miami's unique community for over 52 years, and Williamson Cadillac serves this community with the same essence that represents the people who live here because Williamson is Miami. Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. All right, welcome back to the show. I wandered off to the kitchen. Joe Zagacki, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. And uh, coming up on Friday, Coach L is Boston College. They got a big win the other night. They've struggled here all year. They lost their head coach, they had COVID. But then they went out and beat Notre Dame, which I guess goes to show you you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, Joe, one of the things that happened, actually two things that happened, uh, Boston College lost two of its starters, Winston Tabs and Rich Kelly. They were the second and third leading scorers, and you would think, oh, that will crush them. But they got one of their injured players back, someone who's every bit as good and maybe better than the guys who uh, were in the start lineup because this guy would have been in the starting lineup all year long. So their team is now Jay Heath who's their leading scorer. He's back, has been their leading scorer all season long. They now have the, the, the Lankford brothers, Ashton and DeMar Lankford. And those are the two. They're, they're both outstanding athletes. Uh, DeMar had been injured and been out all season. He came back against Notre Dame, scored 18 points, and was fantastic. And then, of course, they've got Mitchell back, 
at the five, like a stretch five man who killed us the last time. And they've got Felder. So they're, they're a shorter bench than the first time we played them, but they're uh, more talented because of Langford coming back. And they play multiple defenses. They don't play just man-to-man or just zone. Uh, they, they switch it up constantly. And that's how they were able to beat Notre Dame by keeping Notre Dame off balance. I really like Heath and Felder. I think those two guys are really good players. They are. No, they're very good. Heath is an outstanding shooter. He's like a, a bigger version of, of uh, Chris Likes. Yeah. He can really shoot. He's very athletic. He's got deep range. And uh, uh, Felder, Langford, Langford, and Mitchell are very, very athletic. Uh, coming up next week is the ACC tournament. Uh, does your plan stay the same? I, uh, do protocols change going into the ACC tournament? Uh, right now, as it stands, you, you're going to be one of those first games on Tuesday, but you've been really good with the protocols all year. Do things have to change now going to uh, Greensboro for the tournament? Yeah, well, we'll be packing our bags. We play Friday. We'll take Saturday off. We'll practice Sunday. Um uh, after practice, we'll board a flight to Greensboro. We've got to have our COVID test. Joe, we had our, uh, another COVID test last night at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> when we got when we got uh, back from UVA, we did a COVID test at one a.m. The whole team, wow. and so we'll continue to do our our COVID testing. Everybody has been been negative. We're the only team in the league that the. Uh, has not had a positive test or or someone uh, with contact tracing uh, not being able to suit up. Our our problem has not been COVID. It's been the injuries. So we will leave on Sunday, practice uh, in Greensboro on Monday, and play sometime on Tuesday. Um, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, and we've talked a lot about the transfers and recruiting and all that stuff. One of the teams in the league, I'm not asking you to comment on a particular team, but they had two players leave going to the transfer portal with, I don't know, three or four or five games to go. Uh, then I heard someone say, well, maybe the transfer portal should not be open during the season. Do you have any uh, thoughts on transfer portal being open all year or uh, guys uh-huh. – uh, you know, should it be, should that opportunity not be there all year to transfer in the middle of a year, or uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think you want to get me started on that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> because so many of these decisions that are put in place, the the folks that are making the decision, putting the rule in, they have no idea of how it's going to impact athletics. It's such guesswork and. They're constantly having to adjust a rule after they made the rule. And, and it's, it's ridiculous. To me, why would a player who's starting, averaging double figures, with three or four games to go, say, I'm going to put my name in the portal? That means he's going to transfer. Right. right? But there, are, there are players that, that say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit playing and put my name into the draft. I think that's football too, though, Joe, isn't it? Aren't there a lot of is. guys yeah. that don't play in the bowl game? Instead, they, they just get ready for the draft? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to have a huge effect on the bowl games going forward. Do you know what that says to me? A lot of athletes, unfortunately, are not in college to get an education. It, it, it's, it's where the, the um, proving grounds for the athletes to get to the pros. We're, we're, we're the G League. We're right there with the G League. Guys want to get to the NBA, so they come to college. Okay, I'm going to be one and done. Hey, things didn't work out. I'll put my name in the transfer, and I'll transfer to someplace else. The, when, when I was growing up and everything my wife and I tried to educate our sons was, You've got to learn through adversity. You don't quit and, and uh, think the grass is greener someplace else. You, you've got to um, uh, mow your own lawn and, 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 uh, and fertilize it. You know, you've got to make it your grass greener. You, you can't just 
change every time there's a little bit of adversity. You've got to do things that are going to help you be successful in life. Because when you go to work, you finally get a job in the real world, because so few really get to play in, in the pros. You get a job in the real world, and you have a little bit of adversity with your boss. Are you going to be able to quit? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to just drop that job and go someplace else? I don't think so. You'll be married. You'll have children. You'll have a family. You'll have a mortgage. You'll have cars you got to pay for. you got got bills. I, no, you got to learn to fight through adversity. There's always going to be challenges. We talk about attitude all the time, and we say attitude is simply this. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. If you're always reacting to, reacting to it by quitting, you're just going to be a quitter your whole life. The people who succeed are the ones that overcome. Does, does that, uh, going forward, do you think, maybe not just you, but just in general with coaching, do you think you you look closer and examine uh, guys, how many places they've stopped before they've settled maybe on a high school or their durability or how many games they played? Maybe in the pros, it's more apropos to the pros on uh, you know free agents and durability and those things, but... Uh, when you start investigating the background of a player to fit into your team, will those types of things now be a part of your review? Well, that's always been a part of the review. The problem is how hard it is to know. If you eliminate the guys who have have been to multiple high schools or multiple AAU teams, there's no one left to recruit. (laughs) There are guys and good kids, good players – who have, have been to three different high schools, have played for four or five different AAU programs. I talked to one recruit last year who told me, and this makes sense to me because my own grandsons are going through it now. This, this young man, I asked him about, how many AAU teams have you played for? And he started out this way. Well, my first one was the local AAU team, and then one of the better teams in the state, uh, asked me to come up and play for them, which I did because I wanted the competition. And then a national AAU team that played on the Nike circuit offered me a chance. Well, I wanted to play in the EYBL, so I did that. But I played there, and I ended up being a sub. I didn't like that, so I transferred to the Adidas uh, AAU circuit, and I got to start there. And then uh, the next year when I became a senior – there was a, another team that offered me uh, to play uh, a, a, the three spot instead of the four or five, and I wanted to show my perimeter skills, so I changed to that, that AAU. I said, so in four years, you played for five AAU teams? And he said, yeah, four or five years, but definitely five teams. That's one guy. That's happening all around the country. Yeah, maybe they think it's a badge of honor. Uh, before we let you go, uh, I know that uh, most coaches, uh, you're looking to the future, you, you either have a chalkboard or something with your personnel on trying to figure out what the jigsaw puzzle is in the future. Uh, do you have any sense of, of what you might look like next year? Or is that way too premature, premature to get into your head right now? Yeah, well, everything I have now is on my phone. I used to have the Franklin Daily Planner and wrote everything down, every, everything I did, everything I planned to do, every goal for every season, every goal for every player. All of that stuff now is on this little phone that I'm holding. I have notes like you can't believe. Uh, and and if, if you ask me tonight, hey, what did you do in practice uh, – in, in 2013, on January the 10th, I can quickly pull that up and read to you our practice plan. So that's how well organized and, and uh, um, the things that we keep to be sure that, that uh, um, we're planning well ahead and also looking back as to things that help us be successful. So um, 
What did you ask me, Joe? I've lost my I, train of thought. Well, my, my point was going to be, do you have any idea uh, which way oh, some the of your players... Yeah, which way they... So, well, you have, some guys have to make decisions. Any idea which way they might lean? Yeah, so we have six seniors, Chris Likes, and uh, Sam Wardberg and Dengak were here for dinner, and I asked them, and they said, Coach, really haven't had time to think at all about that. Uh, we We won't really think about it until... In Chris' case and Sam Wardenberg's case, they said until they're, they're totally healthy and see what opportunities might be out there for them. Because mm-hmm. they, eventually they want to play professional basketball. And that means they'll have to entertain uh, talking to agents and, and seeing what might be out there for them. In Dan Gack's case, I, I asked him, he said, Coach, I feel like this year was my freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> He said, my freshman year, I had a red shirt. My sophomore year, I was injured. My junior year, I was injured again, my other knee. And now my senior year, I'm getting to play and play in every game. And I'm starting to gain some experience and knowledge. And, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do in the, in the future. So all these guys, uh, they have at least another month, Joe. Sometime in April, uh, we'll, we'll have to have an answer. Are you returning to Miami? Or are you moving on? Are you going to turn pro? Are you going to transfer to another school? Because the NCAA has made that available to every college basketball player. By the way, that practice in 2013, I know what it was. It was, we're not going to jump any higher. We're not going to run any faster today. But we we can be a lot sharper in our passing game. (laughs) The mental side of the game. How many times have you heard me say, mental is the physical is four is the one. You have to be mentally prepared. You got to know the game plan. You got to know the opponent and you got to execute the plan against the opponent. All right. Well, Friday's Boston College. I'll talk to you before the game on Friday and I haven't seen Mrs. L all year. So tell her hello. I will, Joe. Thanks. All right, coach. Appreciate it very much. All right, that's uh, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Canes in Boston College on Friday. Tip-off at 6 o'clock, another early start, 6 p.m. on Friday. We will be on the air at 5.30 p.m. Canes will play sometime on Tuesday at the ACC tournament, either at 2 o'clock, 4.30, or 7 o'clock. Don Bailey Jr. will talk football. That's coming up next. Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. All right, back on the show, Joe Zagacki, Don Bailey Jr., we have been talking University of Miami football here in the offseason as we move toward the 2021 season. Spring football starts in about two weeks or so uh, from the middle of March until the middle of April. And probably, I think, Don, the biggest news for the University of Miami is still in the offseason. I think most people are rallying around Manny Diaz taking over the defense. And if you look back, the last time he he was in command of the defense, calling the plays and all that stuff, uh, they were a very good defense. They held their opponents in 19 and a half points per game. That was very competitive with Alabama and LSU and Clemson, schools like that. Now, uh, they also had Gerald Willis, Shaq Quarterman, and Mike Pickney as a triangle right up the middle. I think that's the most important thing to remember is is Gerald Willis and Pickney and Shaq. Uh, you've got those three players that year, that specific time, were highly productive. Uh, Gerald Willis, I believe, you know, give or take a couple years, was the the best at that position that Miami has seen in in 10 or 15 years. I mean, since maybe Vince Wolfork, I don't remember anybody being able to to take over the middle like that. That's no accident that allows Pickney and Quarterman to have had the production that they had because everybody had to deal with Gerald Willis and he attracted the double team, which is the linebacker's dream. So, you know, we all know that Manny Diaz has orchestrated outstanding defenses, not only at Miami, but at the other stops that he was at. At the same time, you're going to need the personnel. And uh, the spring football to me is going to be very, very important. You're losing 
uh, two draft draftable defensive ends in Roche and Jalen Phillips. Uh, Phillips, you know, there's a lot of talk that he's even going to go in the first round. Um, unfortunately for Miami, Rousseau opted out, and I believe it cost him at least uh, one win uh, last year. Whether you know, let's just say uh, the bowl game. If he would have been there, would have made uh, they would have been able to have a victory. But you, you go down that list and you and you look at the personnel, Joe. I'm very glad to see that a lot of people are returning. But the key is for them to improve from last year to this coming season. You know, I think um, if you look at one area uh, where they really got to be good, uh, it's funny. If, you, if, if uh, you're a fan and you can look back at almost any big game, big championship game, a playoff game in the NFL, a big college game where it's hanging in the balance, and they call it the money downs for some reason, for, for a reason, third down, is always there's always a big third down play, uh, a third down play that rescues a team, or a third down play uh, where the defense ultimately is able to to, to uh, win the game. And, and that's an area Miami was pretty good on third down last year. Uh, under Manny Diaz a couple of years ago, they were very good on third down. I think that's an area maybe in spring football you spend a lot of time on. How do you get off the field because these offenses. Are are made up of around the around college football uh, first down makers. Uh, you know they got guys that can get first downs. Uh, they throw it to them and let them run for the first down. So you got to be great on third down. You really do, but it, it really starts early in the series. You know the the most successful teams defensively do a great job of controlling first down. And if you're allowed, if you can hold the offense to you know to one to two yards on first down. And then you, you do the same thing on second down. It really forces third down and predictable. That's what you want to make sure that you're able to create as a defense. Just understand that defensively, that's where you gain your leverage. If the, as long as the offense stays ahead of the chains, where they get really a free down, that puts a lot of pressure on your defensive side of the football. They got they got to find uh, at linebacker this year. Uh, they got to find some guys and make some plays. You got Bradley Jennings. You got uh, Corey Flagg. We saw some flashes there. We saw some flashes from uh, Tariq Austin Cave. My, my concern with Flagg is he's, you know, 5'11", 228 pounds. Uh, they're bringing in Deshaun Troutman and Chase Smith. Uh, Sam Brooks. We saw some flashes a couple years ago. You have Frierson playing the striker position. He had a really good season. Avery Huff was a highly recruited four-star player out of St. Thomas. Hasn't made a dent at all in his first two years. Uh, they they got to find some guys at that linebacker position that can be impact players. Well, when you look at that spot historically, you know, you've the guys that usually come in that are going to be very, very productive – come in early and flash. And and what I mean by that is, is you, you go down the list, I mean, it didn't take Ray Lewis long to, to get on the field. It didn't take Shaq Quarterman and, and Pickney, you know, in, in recent years. And you go down the list of players that have been standouts at that position. Those guys really, by year two, they really had, had made their presence felt. And I'm back to spring again. You know, who's going to be the guy? I think, that you know, we talk about what position – would you like to emerge from spring with some answers? That linebacker spot, the middle linebacker spot, is a huge, huge part of the equation for Miami getting ready to take on Alabama and the 21 season. Yeah. Bradley Jennings started all 11 games last year uh, for the University of Miami. And some would say that, you know, in some of those services that grade players, it was not one of the great grades around the country. Uh, another area where Miami, I think, has to uh, see a jump you got to be great on the perimeter. Al Blades, I thought, was off to a pretty good start last year and then, of course, missed the end of the season. DJ Ivey had, I think, a, an okay season, former four-star player. Ty- Tyreek Stevenson is coming in from Georgia. He should help. We saw some flashes with Takori Couch, and our lasting memory of Takori Couch in the bowl game was hot and cold, either a great play or a penalty. And then you've got some young guys, Isaiah Dunson, Marcus Clark, and Malik Curtis. But Again, it all goes hand in hand. You got to come up with some. If you want to wear the turnover chain, you're going to have to make some big plays on the perimeter. So 
that was a, the turnover chain was a big deal the last time that Manny Diaz coordinated the defense. I think that's one of the numbers that we really haven't talked about enough is, is the takeaways. But you bring up also Tariq Stevenson. This is a guy that, that had success, that started, that played in big-time games at Georgia throughout and played in the Southeastern Conference. You, I expect him to come in and, and lock down that corner spot right then and there. So now you've got playing time that's going to have to be distributed between Blades and Couch and to be determined. I think that competition level is going to make that other side better. Uh, Tyreek came here to play. He came here to be productive. He came here to start. And he was, whew, what a relief he was to get on the football field for Miami. But that other spot is, you know, there's going to be some great competition at it. Unfortunately, Al Blades um, had some of the side effects of COVID at the end of last year that affected him in the season. And let's hope that he's ready and is ready to take on a senior year. And, you know, overall, you have to say the young man has had a very solid career here at Miami. And I'd like to just see him take that senior jump that we all would hope that he could take. Yeah, Last year, they gave up too many touchdown passes. Uh, sometimes in the middle, uh, as the year goes on, you don't kind of realize it, but they gave up, gave up 20 touchdowns last year through the air had only seven interceptions. That's not a ratio uh, that you want to have. A couple of years ago under Coach Diaz, it was the other way. They only gave up 11 and uh, had 16 interceptions. Yeah, you know, Joe, the takeaway to me is almost like the conversation we just had about third down. You know, what, what causes the takeaway? Well, quarterback pressure. Um, we had so much conversation last year about the defensive ends for Miami, you know, from the beginning before Rousseau opted out, how are these, how are these three guys going to play? How are they going to affect the pass rush? And the quarterback, if you're playing that position where you don't want the pressure to come is up the middle. And, you know, a guy that's built like John Ford at six, five or six, six, and has a big wings wingspan, he's going to have to be a guy that gets the pressure on the quarterback up the middle. Cause you start flushing the quarterback out of his comfort zone and you make him throw on the run and, and, and flush him away from his throwing arm. So it makes it an unusual throw for him. That's going to lead to some of your interceptions. But if you go back and watch the, the takeaway tape, almost all of those plays came when the quarterback was under duress. You know, uh, I'm looking at this uh, group of defensive linemen since we're going over the defense, and uh, maybe for the first time in a, in a long time, th- they're going to have a lot of guys to choose from on the defensive line. You've got, uh, I'll just run through some of these guys. At defensive tackle, you've got Silvera and Miller, Harrison Hunt, Jalar Holly comes back, John Ford comes back, uh, you have Alan Hay coming in from Chaminade, you have Leonard Taylor coming in from Palmetto, uh, Elijah Roberts kind of played inside a little bit for them last year, uh, then you've got uh, Jabari Ishmael, Victor's son coming in on the, on the defensive line, brought in DeAndre Johnson from Tennessee as a defensive end. Uh, Jafari Harvey comes back. Then you got Cameron Williams and Chance Williams. I'm excited to see those two guys. They're both about the same. 6'4", 240, 6'4", 250. Um, Zach McLeod's going to kick down at defensive end. They're going to have a lot of guys for Jess Simpson to work with. There's a good group there, and there's a lot of athletes in that group. And I went into last season, and my – my statement was if Miami's going to be very good on defense, Nesta Silvera's needs to be either first or second team all ACC. He was honorable mention. And I stick with my, my statement for Miami to be very good. And if they're going to borderline great, the defensive tackle spot, specifically Nesta Silvera, who is the highest rated defensive tackle that Miami's got on the roster, he's going to be a guy that has to come in and give you, give you every down. Um, now I'm not talking about worrying about rotation, but he's got to be a three-down player, and he's got to he's got to play at the level when he peaked last year. There were some games where he would flash, or some series where he would make a couple plays. You got to keep that level the same time for the whole ball game. He really what it boils down to. He's got to get himself in a position where he attracts the double team every time he's on the field. Now, when you do that. You may not have the numbers that you, quote-unquote, like to have or show that you're successful, but your defense becomes successful because when an interior guy requires a double team, 
that's a that's a lot of change structurally for that offensive line on every single snap. Hey, uh, real fast, you know, the Dolphins, you just mentioned Rousseau. The Miami Dolphins might be looking at a situation where they can draft either Rousseau or Jalen Phillips. I think if they had to make that decision, they would take Rousseau because of his uh, length. Because they've got Van Ginkle already on the team. That would give them two guys that are, you know, 6'5", 6'6", whatever it is, that can reach from here to eternity. I love the way that Russo looks. Uh, How I look at those two guys is, in in all my years, I don't know that anybody's ever really put forth as much effort uh, as is uh, Phillips. He's a guy day in and day out, every practice, every snap, and then what he did to himself physically. You know, there's the question of when he was at UCLA, you know, he stopped football because of health reasons. And you want to, you know, if you're in the NFL, it's not what you did right. It's what you did wrong or what can happen. So I think there's some question on that. I think he's a heck of a prospect. I think if there was the the combine, he would be one of the leaders in in all of the, the testicles there if that was the case this year. Now, Rousseau, to me, the, the word prospect fits. I, I don't. I have no doubts about Greg Rousseau and how he's test and what type of person he is and what kind of effort he gives. But he's got a seven-game starting tape, and you've got I, you've got to you got to look at that and say, well, do I can I bring a guy in? Can I afford to bring a guy in and ease him in to football again? Because he took a whole year off. And now he's going to have to go through a training camp, which is far different than what it is in college. He's going to be faced with, uh, you know, the, the preseason games, a 16, 17, 18, 20 game regular season. And you got to know how is he going to hold up with that because he never participated in a full college season. Now you're going to throw him into the mix and expect him to come in and give you quality reps. If you're drafting a guy in the first round, he, he better come in and rep early and be able to give them to you for all the, the entire season. I think long-term, Greg Rousseau can, uh, you know, he, he was often compared to Calais Campbell, and I think that's a good comparison. All right, that's Don Bailey Jr. And for your Hurricane season tickets, 1-800-GO-CANES or go to hurricanesports.com. You can listen to WQAM on the Radio.com app. Download the app and make 560 The Joe WQAM your favorite station. Sign up for notifications and you'll never miss a great guest or moment. And don't forget to check out the Radio.com Rewind feature. Go back and listen to it. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.